Bank Stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Hey, what's going on, Dodgers Nation? Doug McCain here. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. The Dodgers 2023 season is fast approaching, and we're going to break it all down. But first, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the Dodgers Nation YouTube channel for all latest Dodgers news and rumors all season long. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. And if you want to see us post even more Dodgers content, you really want to support the channel, smash that like button. And as always, I want your takes down below in the comment section. Today's Dodgers Nation question of the day. What is your biggest concern about the Dodgers for the 2023 season? And how many wins do you think they'll have? Do you think they'll win the West? I want all your takes on the 2023 Dodgers down below. And for all latest Dodgers news, head over to DodgersNation.com. So as far as I'm concerned, the five best words in the English language are it's time for Dodger baseball. It's time for Dodger Dodger baseball. But following that has to be pitchers and catchers report because that means that another season is upon us and the Dodgers have another opportunity to add to their trophy case and win another World Series. But this has the potential to be another memorable season for the Dodgers. And I'm looking forward to this year more than most years because I like the change. I like the new look Dodgers. I like the fact that there's some young studs that are going to get an opportunity to have an impact for this team. I'm excited about some of these acquisitions. I'm excited about the fact that this team is going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder after what happened last year, where they set a new franchise record with 111 wins, only to get bounced in the NLDS after having won just one game. So this team has a lot to prove. And I'll tell you right from the jump that even though the Padres are viewed by many to be the favorites to win the division, that the Dodgers will still be kings of the NL West. I don't care that they traded for Juan Soto and Josh Hader at the deadline last year, that they added Xander Bogarts in free agency, that Fernando Tatchitz is coming back, playing for the syringe Diego Padres. But no, look, I'm glad that he's back, and the Padres are going to give the Dodgers some competition in the division, and congratulations to the Padres for being the Dodgers in the NLDS. But look, even though it was their World Series, it wasn't the World Series, and if you don't win the ring, it don't mean a thing. Little bro beat big brother in a game of one-on-one but we still know who the better player is but this is the first of a series of videos we're breaking down the entire season and we're going to dive right into it starting with the arrivals and the departures so let's start with the departures like we predicted shortstop Trey Turner slid into a new big contract with the Philadelphia Phillies he'll play alongside his BFF Bryce Harper in the city of brotherly love then longtime stalwart iconic Dodger Justin Turner L.A. did not pick up his club option. He ends up signing with the Boston Red Sox. So red turn two now on the Red Sox. Cody Bellinger was non-tendered by the Dodgers. He ended up signing with the Chicago Cubs on a one-year deal. Tyler Anderson, he got himself a nice $39 million multi-year deal with the Angels. Andrew Heaney, he signs with the Texas Rangers. Craig Kimbrell, who was Craig Crumble with the Dodgers last season, he got demoted from the closer spot when it came to Kimbrelsa, LA let him go. He signed a 
one-year deal with the Phillies. Chris Martin signed a two-year, $17.5 million deal with the Boston Red Sox. He can thank Mark Pryor and company for that one. Tommy Canely is back with the Yankees. Joey Gallo signed a one-year deal with the Twins. Edwin Rios signed with the Cubs. And Kevin Pillar signed with the Braves. So good luck to all those guys, unless, of course, they're facing the Dodgers. And you know the saying, it's once a Dodger, always a Dodger, unless you're Craig Kimbrough. I never want to see him in Dodger blue again. I'm going to be sending you my therapist, Bill Craig, because you put me through a lot last year. No, I'm just messing with you, Craig. You've had a great career outside shot at the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. But now let's take a look at the arrivals, starting with designated hitter J.D. Martinez. So to fill Justin Turner's spot in the lineup, L.A. signed J.D. to a one-year, $10 million deal. Last season with the Red Sox, he slashed 274, 341, 448, had a 343 weighted on base average, had a 119 weighted runs created plus. So his bat was 19% above league average, but that number was down from his career 132 WRC plus. So that bat was down 13%. His 174 isolated power was the lowest it's been since since 2013. Now his name JD used to stand for just dingers, but now it stands mostly for just doubles because last year JD's 43 doubles were tied for fourth most in Major League Baseball and his 16 home runs he hit last year was the lowest amount of dingers he's hit in a full season since 2013. Now one of the subplots here is that JD Martinez has been reunited with Robert Van Scoyak, the Dodgers hitting coach who was responsible for helping JD rework his swing and really helping his career take off. But hopefully he can have a power surge with the Dodgers. Who could forget the time he hit those four dingers at Dodgers Stadium. Now, what he's always done throughout his career is mash against lefties and hit the ball hard. And last season, JD had a 998 OPS versus Southpaws. For his career, he's posted a 957 OPS versus lefties. So that is something that the Dodgers have struggled with at times in the past few seasons is mashing against Southpaws and he's absolutely pounded them throughout his career. So I think he's going to do a superb job at filling the DH role for the Dodgers. He's also an excellent postseason player, has a 987 career postseason OPS with nine home runs, five doubles, and 109 at-bats in October. So that is going to be another thing he provides for this lineup. He's a clutch hitter, and he can perform on the big stage. And then the Dodgers signed Noah Syndergaard to a one-year, $13 million deal. We're going to talk more about him when we discuss the Dodgers starting rotation. They added right-handed pitcher Shelby Miller. They gave him a major league contract, so he will be on that Dodgers roster. Right-handed pitcher J.P. Fireisen. I love this pickup. The Dodgers got him via trade. He's going to miss the first four months of the season after having shoulder surgery, but he could have an impact later in the year. Then Jason Hayward. The Dodgers brought in outfielder, five-time Gold Glove Award winner Jason Hayward. Freddie Freeman's old pal from his Atlanta days. Freddie said he influenced Andrew Friedman, the organization, and really helped bring him into Los Angeles. Say he's a great guy. We know how big of a locker room presence he can be. The only question is, can he find that stroke again at the plate? We'll talk about Hayward in a bit. And then there's David Peralta, who the Dodgers signed recently to a one-year $6.5 million contract that includes incentives. They could take it up to over $8 million. And I like this pickup, too. I think it's a solid pickup for a veteran hitter, a left-handed hitter that matches right-handed pitching can absolutely fill a role. You could possibly platoon him in left field. Then the Dodgers traded for and then extended Miguel Rojas in a deal where the Dodgers parted ways with Jacob Amaya. We'll discuss Rojas.
Moss in a bit. And then Alex Reyes. Alex Reyes is definitely your classic buy low, sell high deal for the Dodgers. And then Yanni Hernandez, an infielder that will provide some depth. And we're going to break down some of those players more in depth in just a second. But now let's take a look at the non-roster invitees. The Dodgers have 27 non-roster invitees at spring training this year, with most of them having some sort of big league experience. 17 of the 27 players have experience in the show. You have 11 position players and 16 pitchers. Now, the most notable of the position players is Jason Hayward. We talked about him a little bit earlier, and Hayward is the guy that you would hope could possibly reinvent himself with the Dodgers. LA signed to a minor league contract with an invite to major league camp. Does have that long swing. He did struggle versus high velocity last season. Hayward hit 204 with a 61 WRC plus in 48 games with the Cubs last year. And in his seven years in Chicago, he only had an above average season once. And that was when he had a 129 OPS plus in the 2020 shortened season. So he hasn't been good at the plate for quite some time. And that's going to be the big question. That's going to be the biggest challenge. Can he turn himself into a competent bat? And I think there's a decent chance he can. He's gone off to a nice start this spring. He's had a home run. His swing looks more compact. He's made some adjustments. Dave Roberts said that he's really unlocked some things in the box. And I talked to Jason this spring and I asked him, what is the biggest key for him to having success this season at the plate? And here's what he had to say. Yeah, and as far as uh, you at the plate, what do you think is the biggest key for you to really have a lot of success this year in the box? Well, for one, just uh, continue to be manageable on a day-to-day basis, um, being in a good position to hit um, consistently as possible, and that makes it easier to make adjustments on the fly. That's what you know, all of us as hitters, we understand you have to do, and then right now at this point is just continue to get more bats. Some other interesting names on that list. You have Steven Duggar who signed a minor league deal with the Dodgers in 271 MLB games. He slashed 236, 293, 367. His best year came in 2021 when he had a 767 OPS with eight home runs with the Giants. I look for him to be more of a depth piece. And then you have Bradley Zimmer. So Bradley Zimmer, a former top 100 prospect. We know he's a great defender. He just hasn't been able to hit consistently at the big league level. He was a member of three different organizations in 2022. He was traded from the Guardians to the Blue Jays in April and then claimed off waivers by the Phillies in August. And now the biggest key for Zimmer, as is the case with most of these guys, is can they find a way to consistently hit big league pitching? Because last year he couldn't hit sand if he fell off a camel. In 117 plate appearances with the Blue Jays and the Phillies, Zimmer slashed just 124, 207, and 229. Now, he does provide value as a runner and as a defender. For his career, he has a plus 10 outs above average, a plus 13 defensive run saved, and a UZR 150 of 3.6. So look for him to fill that Kevin Pillar super depth role unless he can find it at the plate. And then taking a look at the pitching side, the first names that stand out are the young stud Dodgers pitchers. You have Bobby Miller, the Dodgers number two overall prospect, their top pitching prospect. You know his raw stuff has the potential to be elite. The only question for him is does he continue to develop? Does he have more success pitching with runners on base? How do those secondary pitches look? Is he continuing to develop that slider? You want to see him miss some more bats and just continue to get that poise on the mound and just look the part as a future top level starter. And then of course there's Gavin Stone, the Dodgers number seven overall prospect 
He has one of, if not the best, changeups in all of minor league baseball. I think he has the stuff and the command to make it in the show earlier than later. I think the fact that he came up as a closer and the fact that he has experience coming out of the pen makes you think that maybe the Dodgers use him in that role to get his big league career started. Another thing that stands out is old friend Adam Caleri. Can he provide some choleric value? The six-year MLB veteran had a 4.58 ERA with the Oakland A's in 15 games in 2022, but he was outstanding in his role with the Dodgers from 2019 to 2020. Caleric had a .88 ERA in 46 games with LA. He owned Juan Soto in 2019, retiring him all three times he faced him. The only issue with him was that three-batter minimum. He is a true loogie, so we'll see if he can have some success with the Dodgers. And we'll see. Will some of these other names that have an opportunity here start to emerge? Jordan Yamamoto, he's a guy who's most likely going to be a AAA veteran piece. Wander Suero has had some success in the past, but really, for the most part, I don't see many of these guys having an opportunity to have an impact on the big league roster. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. If a guy goes down and gets injured, maybe they turn to some of these guys. But look for Gavin Stone. Look for Bobby Miller, Adam Kalerik, and we'll see. Robbie Erlin's an interesting name. He appeared in two games with the Dodgers, of course, in 2022. He's an eight-year MLB veteran. But a lot of nice depth at the minor league level for the Dodgers. But let's stick to pitching and break down this Dodgers starting rotation heading into spring training. Now, you have to start with the tip of the spear, and that, of course, is Julio Urias. Urias won the NLEI. ERA title last year with a 2.16 ERA. His fastball velo was down in 2022 from 94.1 miles per hour in 2021 to 93.1 miles per hour last year. His strikeout rate was down. His walk rate was down just a smidgen, but the Urias was as effective as ever. Julio has been the Dodgers' most trusted workhorse over the past few seasons. Last year, he finished just behind Tyler Anderson with 175 innings pitched, coming off a season where he led LA in in 2021 with 185 and a thirds innings pitched. Julio finished third in the NL Cy Young Award voting, and if he replicates the success he had last year, he's going to make himself a very, very rich man in the final year of his contract. I think Julio's going to have another banger of a season and put himself in a great position to get a big bag. My one goal for Julio, though, in the 2023 season is to put the team on his back in the postseason as a starting pitcher. We know he did it out of the bullpen. I want to see it as a starter, and I know he's more than capable of doing just that. Now, should he be the Dodgers opening day starter? I think there's no question that he's earned it. I think there's no question that he deserves it, but if they want to give it to Clayton Kershaw in what could possibly be his last season on the Dodgers, I'd be fine with that too. Now, segueing to a Mr. Clayton Edward Kershaw, the future first bound Hall of Famer made 22 starts in 22, and he got his numbers back down to 
his career norms. Kirsch's 228 ERA and 251 expected ERA were his best since 2017. Among major league pitchers that tossed at least 120 innings, Kershaw ranked third in expected ERA and sixth in both ERA and fifth. Now, the most impressive thing to me about Kirsch in recent years is that he's quietly successfully reinvented himself. From his Cy Young Award winning days when he was throwing 95 and 96 miles per hour down to 90.7 miles per hour last season where he was in the 15th percentile, he's not that guy. But Kirsch leans heavily on his slider. Now, Kirsch is a happily married man, but he has a slide piece. and He throws it 42.7% of the time. And when he has the feel for that slide piece, it's one of the best sliders in the game. Last season, it had a minus 10 run value, which was 19th in all of Major League Baseball. And he also has that Uncle Charlie that gives him another plus pitch. So with Kershaw, it's simple. Health is wealth. When he's on the mound and he's healthy, he's still a trusted ace-level pitcher. Let's just hope he can avoid injury in 2023. That brings us to Tony Gonsolin. The Catman took a giant step forward last season after working his way through arm and shoulder injuries all throughout 2021. He came out of the litter box strong in 2022. Through his first 15 starts, the great Catsby went 11-0 with a 1-6-2 ERA and as an ultimate sign of respect by his peers, was selected by the players for his first career Paw Star, I mean All-Star game. Now, a lot of Gonsolin's success and growth last year was due to him attacking the strike zone and trusting his defense. Now, his 207 BABIP was the lowest in the league for pitchers that toss a minimum of 130 pitches, so that could point to some regression, especially with the restricted shift, but if he's on and he's healthy, his split change and slider combo are one of the best in the game. Against those two pitches, opponents hit a combined 122, and it accounted for 89 of his 119 punch-outs. The only issue for Gonsolin in 2022 was that his season was derailed to an extent by injuries. Tony Smokes was leading the National League with a 2.10 ERA when he landed on the IL with a right forearm strain, and when he returned, he just did not look like the same cat. He wasn't as effective, and he really struggled for the Dodgers in Game 3 of the NLDS versus the Padres. He was only able to get through an inning and a third. He allowed just one run, but the command wasn't there. He wasn't very effective, and if you look at his innings pitch, he ended up throwing in 130 and a thirds innings. That was by far his career high at the big league level, and the question for him is can he stay healthy and build on the momentum that he had last year? Because I think he had some real breakthroughs last season, not even just physically, but also mentally. His ability to attack hitters, you weren't seeing him nibble as much, and the fact remains that when he's on the meow, he's one of the better pitchers in the game. I look for him to be the Dodgers, number three or four starter, but it's all about help for Tony Gonsolin and continuing to improve and continuing to become more of a pitcher than a thrower. And we saw him make strides in that department last season. Now, the Dodgers' big offseason pitching acquisition was Noah Syndergaard. Thor signed a one-year, $13 million deal with the Dodgers despite having multiple multi-year offers from other teams. But Thor said he wanted to pitch for LA. I assume that he's seen what the Dodgers have been able to do with other pitchers around the league and how they've turned their careers around and gotten their careers back on track. Just look at what they were able to do with Tyler Anderson last year. He was a guy they signed to a one-year, $8 million deal. They end up getting him a nice bag with the Angels, a $39 million deal. So you know that Thor recognized that and he wants to have the same success in L.A. Now, it is his fourth team in four years, and last year he finished with a 3 9 4 ERA. 
ERA, which wasn't spectacular, but he did manage to stay healthy for the most part and pitched 134 and two-thirds innings in his first full season back from Tommy John surgery and another eight and a thirds innings pitch in the postseason to the tune of a 324 ERA. Last year, he displayed great command with his walk rate in the 86 percentile. He limited hard contact and the average exit velocity was in the 80th percentile. Hard hit rate was in the 79th percentile. Now his velo was down four miles per hour from his peak. Last year, he averaged 93.6 miles per hour on his heater. At his peak, he was at 98.7 miles per hour back in 2016. So that is going to be the biggest key. Can he regain that velocity? And Dave Roberts has already said at spring training that Thor's velo has been trending at the start of spring training. So that is a good sign. But that 6.3 strikeouts per nine was the lowest in his career. So we'll see. Can Thor figure things out with the Dodgers? Because that would change everything. To me, that's one of the big X factors. Because if he can pitch like an ace on a one-year $13 million deal, that's going to change what the Dodgers do at the deadline. They don't have to go out there and get someone. And he's a guy that has a lot to gain this season. And I just have this feeling that this year, my favorite day of the week is going to be Thor's Day. But you go from Cindergard to Gingergard with Dustin May. Dustin Maney returned to Dodgers Stadium for the first time since undergoing Tommy John surgery in 2021. And he was absolutely mesmerizing, striking out nine Marlins in five scoreless innings of work on 71 pitches. Unfortunately, May had his ups and downs after his hot start, losing to the Marlins a week later. And he got rocked by the Padres, allowing six runs in five innings of work, giving up two home runs. Now, the issue with May in his return was that command. What I always say, if you want to be the man, you have to have the command. And in his six starts, he issued 14 walks in 30 innings of work. His walk rate was up from 6.5% through his first four starts in 2021 to 11% in six starts in 2022. Now, we know when it comes to pure raw stuff, Dustin May has endless potential. His stuff moves more than a military family. And if his command improves, he could be an all-star this season. That's how good he is. It's just about controlling that strike zone and working that sinker on the inner half to righties and just finding that balance. And I talked to Code Red about getting his command back on track, and here's what he told me. You look at your numbers last year, the walker is a little higher than it was in 2021. What do you think is the key for you to get your command back to where it was before? Any mechanical adjustments, anything you need to do? What do you think the key is for that? Yeah, uh, mechanic or like... Motion-wise, the plate was a little different than it was last year um, going from pre-surgery. So I uh, got myself back into kind of the motion and mechanical cues that I had pre-surgery now. So trying to build off of that and keep going. And another one of the Dodgers' young stud pitching prospects that could see more opportunities this year is Ryan Pepio. He had a cup of coffee in the show last year, struggled with command at times, but you saw him flash that potential. That changeup is nastier than a gas station bathroom. He's improved his delivery in the offseason, had some nice starts so far this spring, has been more effective with that slider, and Pepio is a guy that could really make a leap this year. Now, the biggest question surrounding the Dodgers' bullpen in 2023 
three is how will L.A. close games? Will they go closer by committee and play the matchups or will they find a closer? Well, Bill Plunkett, he tweeted out Dodgers Dave Roberts said he doesn't expect to pick a closer this spring and doesn't think spring training would be a good time to have a competition for that role. He'll go on to say at some time, will we have a closer? I could see that, but I also could see us not having a closer. Now, last year, the Dodgers traded A.J. Pollock for Craig Kimbrell during spring training, and Kimbrell was the Dodgers closer for the majority of the season. And unfortunately, Craig Kimbrell went Craig Crumble too many times. He was ultimately replaced, and he did not make the Dodgers postseason roster. Now, Evan Phillips was the Dodgers' best high-leverage reliever last year. He's established himself as a top-five reliever in the game, and I talked to him about the closer's role for the Dodgers, and here's what he had to say. So, of course, I asked you about your role. We know the Dodgers have had so many elite closers. This year, it's pretty much wide open. Just kind of what are your thoughts on your role? Have they told you anything? You know, I would expect to pitch in the same fashion I did last year, and um, you know, perhaps that'll include a bit more of the ninth inning, but um, nothing has been phrased to me or I believe anybody else about a specific uh, closer role. I think we, we value that position differently. Um, we value getting outs, and from top to bottom throughout our bullpen, we know we can get the job done. Now, me personally, I've always been a fan of the closer by committee approach when it comes to getting those final three outs. Play the matchups, and also you don't want to burn your best reliever as the closer. You don't want to lock him in to that role. That's why I don't want to see Fireman Phillips as LA's closer. I want to see him in facing the meat of the order in the highest leverage situations so you keep him for that. Now, if the Dodgers did want to go to a closer, who would I want? I'd go with Daniel Hudson. He was the Dodgers' most effective high leverage reliever for the first three months of the season. He pitched in either the eighth or the ninth inning in 18 of his 20 appearances. He had a 2.22 ERA, a 2.04 FIB, both the best of his career and his 2.74 expected ERA was his highest since 2015. He struck out 30.9% of the batters he faced his third straight season of over 30% in that department. He also walked just 5.2 batters that he faced. So he has that swing and miss stuff that you need in the bottom of the ninth. He can miss bats and his five saves on the team ranked second, even though he missed the last three months of the year. Now he did tear his ACL in Atlanta and it was reported that he is being affected currently by ankle tendonitis, but he still expects to be ready when the season begins. So I like Danny Hudson as my closer if they're going to go that direction. Now switching gears to the position players, we have to start by talking about the shortstop position. And this was primed to be the year of Gavin Lux, the year where the Dodgers former top prospect took over at short and really established himself as LA's long-term solution at that position. But unfortunately, Gavin suffered a season-ending ACL injury at the beginning of spring training, and he's going to miss the entire season. So this is a crushing blow for the Dodgers because, as Freddie Freeman said, they expected him to hit close to 300. They expected him to be an impact bat, but with Lux out, the Dodgers are going to turn to Miguel Rojas. And Dave Roberts has already said that he expects Rojas to get 80% of the reps at the shortstop position. Rojas is one of the best defensive shortstops in 
in the game. Last year, he was a finalist for the Gold Glove Award. He finished second behind Jeremy Pena. Last year, he was a finalist for the Gold Glove Award. He finished second behind Jeremy Pena with 15 defensive runs saved. His 10 outs above average were tied for fifth. His 4.9 UZR score was fourth best. So there's no question that he can play the position at an elite level. And also, when you consider the restricted shift, you are going to need a guy that you can trust at that position. Only issue with him is his lack of production at the plate. Last year, he hit 232 and his 73 weighted runs created plus was last among qualified shortstops. So that was dead last. Doesn't hit for power. 39 home runs across nine seasons. Doesn't really hit the ball hard. But you can trust him defensively. The only question is, can he get together at the plate? He was suffering through a wrist injury last year that really impacted him. So hopefully he has his strength back and he's ready to go. Now, another option the Dodgers could turn to at short could be Chris Taylor, but you're not going to see that on a full-time basis because his value is being the Chris Army Knight, playing multiple positions, but he is capable of it. Last year, he did struggle through injuries. He was dealing with a neck injury. He broke his foot. Just wasn't the same guy that we've seen in the past. He also had a 35.4 strikeout rate, which was the second worst among hitters with at least 400 player appearances behind Joey Gallo. But CT3 has proven in the past that he can play the shortstop position at a competent level. And I talked to him about the idea of playing some shortstop this season. And here's what he had to say. You were limited as far as your positional versatility. We didn't see you play as much infield last season as we did in years past. How much are you looking forward to getting back on the dirt and the possibility of playing some shortstop again in the upcoming season? Uh, yeah, you know, I think the back half of last season, I was back in the infield. Um, and I think even the first half, it was more so there wasn't a need. We didn't really have a need for me in the infield as as much as I was limited. Um, you know, I it probably played a part of it, but um, yeah, no, I... I'm happy to play wherever they need me, really. If if I'm on the field, I'm happy. Uh, uh, Whether it's in the outfield or the infield, second, short, left, center, right, um, really doesn't matter. I just want to be in the lineup. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously open to playing some shortstop as well. And make no mistake about it, losing Gavin Lux was a devastating blow to this Dodgers lineup and LA's infield, and it really threw a wrench into what they were trying to do this year because they fully expected him to be able to play that position and produce at the plate. They expected him to emerge as a star and realize his potential this season. That's why they didn't re-sign Trey Turner or sign Carlos Correa or Dansby Swanson or Xander Bogarts or any of the available shortstops because they believe leave in Lux's talent. Now with him out, the big question is can Miguel Rojas find it at the plate? Because last year he really struggled. He was dealing with injuries. But if he can be a competent bat in a better lineup, that's going to go a long way. But then it does thin out their bench depth. Can Yanni Hernandez, a guy they traded for, who's really quietly put together a really solid start to spring training, can he emerge as a guy that can play that utility role for the Dodgers in the infield? Or will the Dodgers look to explore the trade 
trade market? Will they go after a Willie Adamas type, of Ahmed Rosario type, another shortstop, or they look to add another outfield piece to try to fill in that production? Or do they say to themselves, hey, James Altman and Jason Hayward, they've looked pretty solid this spring. They can get the job done. Because let's not forget that Cody Bellinger set the bar so low offensively that you just really need Miguel Rojas to be a competent back. It's somewhere close to league average, and that will go a long way. But it's not a great time for the Dodgers to make a trade because they virtually have no leverage when it comes to pursuing one of these top talents. And you just don't see teams make very many preseason trades. I think what they'll do is they'll start the year with the roster they have. If there's a guy that is available at the right price right now, maybe they go that route. But I think they'll address that during the season because I don't see them wanting to part ways with some of their top talent when you have Shohei Otani possibly available. So I think it's still a little early. Miguel Rojas, he's a guy that is a veteran. He's a leader. He's a guy that's well-respected in that clubhouse. And we know at the very least defensively, he's going to be able to get it done. And then there's that gaping hole left behind by Cody Bellinger in center field. It was bye-bye belly for the Dodgers in 2022 after they non-tendered the former MVP after another belly flop of a season at the plate where he slashed just 210, 265, 389, coming off a 2021 season where he hit just 165. From 2020 to 2022, Belly had a 653 OPS, a 279 WOBA, a 77 WRC plus, 1.9 F4 in 271 games. So it was agonizing to witness the fall of Cody Bellinger, but he's a guy that I think absolutely will benefit from a change of scenery. I wish him nothing but the best, and I hope that it works out for him. But he did play above average center field. I always used to say he covers more ground than a Roomba in a mansion, and they're going to have to fill that. And Trace Thompson is a guy that played all four NLDS games against the Padres in center. But the question I have is, will the clock strike midnight on Trace Thompson? Will he turn back into a pumpkin? Because he's a guy that had a dream comeback year for the Dodgers. Had a 145 OPS plus, hit 13 home runs. He also had some very interesting reverse splits. Had a 621 OPS versus lefties, a 1010 OPS versus righties. He did hit the ball hard. He did punish mistakes. He had a very high BABIP. So there are some signs that point to some regression for Trace Thompson, but we'll see if he can handle it and if he can prove to be an everyday big leaguer. And then there's the aforementioned Chris Taylor, who's always an option in center. We know he can play that position at an adequate level. He played 49 games in center field for the Dodgers in 2017 when they went to the World Series. And he absolutely is an option. We know he can get it done, but we know center field's also a very physically demanding position. He's been banged up in recent years. Do you really want to have him as your everyday center fielder? Also, we need to see what he can do at the plate. Can he turn things around and have a bounce back year? But he is certainly an option. And there's Jason Hayward, who we talked about earlier. There's no question about his defense. The only issue is his offense or lack thereof. And then there's James Altman. Dave Roberts told me face-to-face that James Altman is a guy that can dominate the position of center field. He's raked at every level in the minors. Yes, that strikeout rate is high in his cup of coffee with the Dodgers. Had a 43.8 strikeout rate. But that comes with the territory. 
territory. He's a guy that is going to hit for some power. He has some pop in that bat. He's very athletic. I have no doubt that he can play the center field position. It's just a matter of can he hit consistently? Can he have more success against spin? And will they give him opportunities against lefties? Because it's tough for these guys to improve against lefties if they can't have more experience because a lot of the BP throwers don't throw lefty very well and they just need to see that action in real time. And then if there's any injuries or those guys don't work out, you do have Zimmer, you do have Duggar, but don't look for those guys to be realistic options. If they're playing, it's a break in case of an emergency situation and things have gone wrong for LA. We'll see though. Can they break out? Hey, prove me wrong. And then there's second base, of course, Miguel Vargas. He is going to get the runway at second base. He has suffered a little fracture to his pinky, so he's not going to be hitting, but he's still going to be fielding. He's the guy that worked with Miguel Rojas in the offseason. He's very athletic in the 94th percentile in sprint speed. He has that range. He can get the job done. But let me know down below in the comments section, what is your biggest concern with the Dodgers in 2023? Do you think they're going to win the division? I want all your takes on the 2023 Dodgers down below. Who's going to be the big breakout player? Give me all your takes down below and stay tuned for part two. My name is Doug McCain. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. For all latest Dodgers news and rumors all season long, be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, and if you really want to support the channel, smash that like button. And until next time, think blue, bleed blue, and I'm out. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.